Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom, and we've got Seneca from Hampton Adams. This is season 13, episode 21, all the way back from May 2nd of 2022. Uh, Hampton Adams is athletic tape, and he comes in asking $500,000 for 10% of the company. So big-time player in this space, really, really strong athletic tape, uh, rips really easily, athletes love it. Um, you know, there's other stuff out there, but, you know, really, really high-quality stuff, and then some other products that, that go along with it. Um, 12.2 million of lifetime sales, and he did all this as a one-man show, which is just unbelievable. Um, at the time of airing 5 million year-to-date, Primarily, uh, those sales are occurring through Amazon. He thought he'd get to about 6.2 million uh, by the end of the year with a 20% margin, and he's spending about 20% on ads. Um, there's no patent, there's nothing proprietary. Uh, again, obviously other players in the space. The challenge he was sharing was the cash flow wheel and needing more money for more inventory. So a little bit of a challenge there. Did not get a deal on the show. But successful business, doing great, probably not appealing to anyone. Sometimes I think these sharks, you know, they don't want you too far in the process because they don't get a lot of equity and they put up a bunch of money. And so no deal. But as you'll see, what an awesome, awesome guy. Uh, great business. And uh, you'll really enjoy the conversation. So uh, have fun. And afterwards, we'll uh, talk about some of the great things we learned. Audio good. I'm all right, Sanka, welcome to Outside the Tank. We are so excited to talk to you hot on the heels of uh, airing your episode on national TV. Um, y y we got the short version of this during the episode, but I, I want to hear the longer version of where the idea came from. Um, you know, how did you become an entrepreneur? Why athletic tape instead of other products? Were there other products that you were considering? Uh, really want to hear the, the full uh, version of the story. Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> it's not the sexiest. Um, so I, the, the story goes back pretty far. Um, I had been wanting to, like, being an entrepreneur was something I'd wanted to do for a very, very, very long time. Um, I started t-shirt brands. I'd like started a record label. I started all of this stuff before that just um, didn't pan out because I wasn't who I, who I needed to be in order to make that stuff work. Um, but for this, like this specific business, I was, uh, I was at home playing video games. <laughs> I was at home uh, for probably about six, seven months playing video games. And I had kind of given up. I was just like, man, like, I don't think I'll, I don't think like me stressing about this is going to make it come any quicker. And I just kind of was like, you know what? If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, and so I was like, I'm taking a break. Um, <laughs> before that, I, uh, I'd been working at a couple of companies and uh, I was just kind of in learning mode where I was learning everything that I could about uh, business in general, right? Um, finances, people, processes, systems, products, right? Customer service, like the, the entire pyramid of what makes up a good business. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> I was working at a job and uh, I brought my boss a $50 million deal and it was, uh, it was finance. So they were managing portfolios. So I found someone who was retiring. He had a $50 million portfolio and he needed somebody to manage it. 
And so I said, hey, um, why don't you bring that book of business over to us and we'll manage it, right? And so uh, he said, sure, connect with my boss. And my boss said, you're going to be the highest paid person here. At this time, I'm like 22, 23 years old. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, this is going to change my life. Like, this is it. And uh, this migration process went on for, man, I want to say like four or five months. And during this whole time, it's like, yeah, like, let's get this thing going. This is amazing, blah, 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 blah. So we get everything transferred over and fees start coming in. And my boss pulls me aside. He goes, hey, so I wanted to have a conversation with you. He says, um, we know, I know you referred that entire portfolio of like all those, that, that book of business. Um, however, your contract says that you need to refer individual accounts. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? He goes, individual accounts. This was a book of business that doesn't qualify. I'm like, you're kidding me right now. And he said this, and, and, and I quote, I'll give you four grand, take it or leave it. I shouldn't give you anything. I'm like 22, 20, like I'm young, hungry. So this was like, the, this is why I was, I don't play video games. I gave up. I was like, ah, and that wasn't the first time. Um, and so I hired and trained someone after that. Everybody was like, what are you doing? Why would you stay there for that person? That's not a nice person who would do something like that. And I said, you know, it goes around, comes around. And so I stayed, I hired a girl and I trained her. Um, I didn't badmouth the guy, didn't talk negative about anything. I just, this is how you do what you do. This is trained her and I was off. <clears throat> Two weeks later, she quit. <laughs> she said the guy was a jerk. Uh, and so I'm at home, you know, six, seven months playing video games, streaming on Twitch, having a good time. And uh, I get a call and she says, hey, uh, I quit that place two weeks after. Oh, no. Wow. That sucks. She says, hey, but I'm at this new this new place and um, they're hiring. I think you'd be a great fit. Now, during the time I was doing like branding and, and website design. And so uh, I was at home playing video games, building websites. And I was like, I'm good, but sure. Let me see what's up. And it was a customer service job. And the position that I was at before was director of operations. So it was a big dip down per se, but I was in this place where I was like, you know what? It, easy money. Let me just do this customer service stuff. I had done it for five years at Apple when I was younger. Um, so I was like, this is easy. And uh, I was getting paid 50 grand to do customer service. I'm like, oh, this is easy. No phone calls, emails. I'm like, done. Take it, steal. And uh, I started doing this. And uh, they needed more people. I hired a buddy of mine. He comes in, he looks around, he goes, there's nothing here. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, there's no systems, there's no processes, there's no nothing. He's like, we can we can build this place. And I'm like, yeah, no, nah, I'm just going to get my check and go home. <laughs> That's all I want to do. And uh, the, the company was doing about a million dollars. Um, this is a long roundabout way of telling you how I got started selling this product, but it'll, it'll, it'll come, it'll come. <laughs> and so... Um, I had a problem one day and I was like, why is this this way? And, and I solved it. I had another one and I solved it, another one and I solved it. And I had built this process that they didn't have before. And they went, oh, wow, that's amazing. Can you solve this? And I went, yeah, sure, I solved it, right? And I just have a knack for solving problems. And I had solved so many problems and my boss goes, hey, can you help me um, selling this, our products? They were selling light bulbs and they were selling them on Amazon only and they were doing about a million a year. 
Hmm. Yeah, sure. It's not a problem. I went online and I watched uh, a video that he had given to me. He said, watch this. I clicked another one and I watched that one. And this light went off in my head and it was, hold on. This this guy is going to show me how to create my own products with my own brand that I can sell on a marketplace. Like, wait, wait, wait. It was a concept that blew my mind, but throughout the education of what I've been going through, I've been reading books, going to seminars, like buying courses, hiring two teachers and like coaches, everything at this moment came together. It was a system that was automated, that was leverageable, that like, it just clicked. And so um, I went, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to figure out how to, you know, um, manufacture my own products and I'm going to sell them. And so I went on the search for products. Well, hold on a second. There's something very notable here. You were selling light bulbs and you had a light bulb moment. Right? <laughs> it was something that I- <laughs> it was- so, Sorry about that, Seneca. Continue. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Um, they say, um, you know, you, you can't get wealthy if your time is tied to how much you make. And what I saw was my time could be completely detached from how much I made. And the system was almost infinitely le- leverageable. I didn't like it was it was insane. So uh, I, I went on the search and I started looking for what I could manufacture, what I could make. I had grown up watching Shark Tank years I grew up watching Shark Tank and there were there were days where I'd sit watching the show and I'd have tears in my eyes of frustration because I couldn't come up with an idea of like how what can I create to be on the show it I stopped watching the show because it was so frustrating I was like I just it's it's demoralizing now at this point and so uh, I'm looking around for a product and uh um I come across tape and I'm like tape Nobody wants to buy tape. <laughs> and I stopped and I went back and I went, wait a minute. Can I sell tape? I mean, these guys are selling light bulbs. And um, at that time, my mom called me. And my mom was uh, a nurse. <clears throat> and she called me. She says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm researching products right now. And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, you guys use tape all the time when you were kids. You play football. And I'm like, wait, hold on. I, we, I did use tape all the time when I was a kid. My dad was my football coach growing up. And my mom was a nurse. And I was like, okay. And she used to come home and like take our blood, paper, like just take care of us medically, right? So I had, had a lot of exposure when it came to using tape in the, in the like for health, literally for wellness and then for sports. And so I said, you know what, what's, what's wrong with tape? And what I did from there is I went on to like problem solve what are the issues that exist currently with tape, right? It seems so so small and insignificant, right? But what, is, what issues exist and how can I solve them? And so I just went on research mode and I dove into every single niche I could find um, about people who use tape and what they were using it for and what the problems were that they had. I read probably 30,000 reviews word for word. I read every single one. And um, I made a list and I was, I wrote down everything people hated about it, every, everything they loved about it, where they were using it, who was using it. And I, I wanted to know who, what, when, where, why, how, so that I could go and I could try to solve the problem that existed with tape. Um, and so I set out to um, find a manufacturer that could manufacture the product. The good thing is the job that I was at, they were introducing so many products. I've probably launched 
1200 products. And by the time that I went to launch my product, I had already launched at least like three, four, 500 products. So for me, it was like, I had already had the repetition, right? The, the, the weight, the time under tension to be able to pick a good product, run the numbers and do all that stuff. So I kind of got, um, there was a big blessing in that girl calling me and saying, Hey, uh, I got this position. So long winded way, but, uh, that's kind of how I got into selling the products uh, that, that I sell. And how hard was it to find someone to manufacture it? How was that process or because of the work you were doing, launching products that, that also came pretty easy. Yeah. So the, the finding, it was scary because you're dealing with factories, number one, and you're an individual and you're like, what do I know about factories? So there was a big education process that had to happen there. Whenever I ran into something I didn't understand, it was like MOQ. I'm like, what is an MOQ? <laughs> Let me go research what an MOQ is. Um, FOB, what is FOB? EXW, what is EXW, right? And learning all of the terminology, um, I think it was Robert Kiyosaku who, who said, if you want to increase your net worth, inc like increase your, 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 your vocabulary, right? The, the words, you know, the acronyms, you know. And so I was just like, let me learn all that I can. And I started talking to factories and uh, that part was easy. The the Scary part was trusting them with so much money to manufacture something that you never seen. And so what I did was uh, I had a mentor. He said, uh, <laughs> he's an older Danish guy. Uh, and he'd always yell. He was great. He goes, always do everything in parallel, everything in parallel. He would always run multiple solutions on things. He'd never run one. He'd go, let's try this, this, and this. <laughs> and one of them will stick. Uh, and so I said, okay, let me use that principle. And so I, I contacted, I want to say like 40 factories, probably more. And I started talking to every single one of them. And I was diligent at this point because it was just me. I was hungry. I was working at a company. I was seeing it work. I had my own vision and, uh, it probably took me nine months to be able to introduce the first product. Um, I ordered samples as many as I could. Um, the formula for the glue that we have on, on our product, like the iterations we went through, this is too sticky. This isn't sticky enough. This doesn't tear. This doesn't rip. This makes me itch. This doesn't. Like we went through so many iterations. And when I finally got the batch um, from, from multiple factories that I liked, I would test all this stuff on athletes because that's who it's for. And I would give it to them and say, try it out. And they'd come back and they go, this is crap. I don't like it. <laughs> I love this one. Um, or this one left a bunch of gunk or, and I literally tested it over and over until I found the one um, where everybody was like, this is good. I love this. This is great. Uh, and th there's another lesson I learned from my mentor. He says, your, uh, the best testing utensils are your eyes and hands and ears. <laughs> He's like, you're all the tests you want, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't really matter. And so um, that's how I kind of went through the, the the sample process. took a took a long time, but uh, we got through it. <laughs> what was the what was the timeline on this? So nine months, but when did you start and end that process? Do you remember like the month and year? Let me see. Um, it had to be sometime in fifteen, two thousand fifteen, fifteen, okay. somewhere around there. Yeah. 15. Okay. I had research for like finding the product took the longest, but during that entire process, I was research, I was researching. Um, <clears throat> and it, it, 
I feel like I was lucky, but I feel like a lot of people have that opportunity to like, if you have a job and you're not just like on your entrepreneurial grind and it's your business, your job is so much it can teach you. If you just not dedicate yourself, but look for the nuggets that apply to what you're doing. And then you go, you start picking up. I started picking up stuff at work. I was like, Hey, who's doing this? Nobody. I'll take it (laughs) because I'm like, I want to learn. I'm getting paid to learn. This is a steal. Um, But the process, I would say it was over a year. Definitely over a year. Yeah, or, or just find a job where you think you can learn a lot of the skills you'd need to own your own business. Oh, I want to own a business. Well, then you should probably work at a startup or, you know, a relatively small business where you'll be immersed in everything. So that's a, it's a great lesson. Let me ask you this, this uh, gentleman who stiffed you on the commission, were you... Not not immediately after, but I mean, in the, you know, in the six, seven, eight years, 10 years, whatever it's been since, how have you viewed him? Are you angry? Did you use it to fuel you? Did you change those emotions over time? Like, what did that person, what were your feelings towards that person? Initially, it was anger. Um, and anybody who knows me knows, like, I don't really get angry. <laughs> So for me to get upset, it was like somebody had to do something pretty egregious. I was upset, but I think I was more hurt because I, I trusted him more. Um, and there was a lesson there in the amount of trust that you dole out, right? It's, it's a spectrum. It's not a switch, right, on or off. It's more of a spectrum. And so uh, I was initially angry and... somebody said you should sue him you can sue him for that and I was like I don't want to go through all the headache of that stuff like I just I like that that's not the type of person that I was um and then as time went on I think when the opportunity presented itself I was grateful Mm -hmm. because I was like had that not happened I wouldn't be here yeah Mm -hmm. um and so I, it, it sounds cliche, but it's something I, I like genuinely try to do is I try to see like, let me sum it up like this. Somebody said, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And if you can look at things in that way of like, what is this trying to do for me? It, it rolls off easier because you're like, oh, here's the silver lining in that. Or here's what I can learn or pick up from that. Um, I did learn. I'm like, oh, there's the importance of contracts. Lesson learned right? Like there's practical things to pick up. Um, I, I should have, you know, gotten the, the like made sure that that was all good before I brought it over. I should have been checking in as that was that there's so many things that I, that I like to look back and learn. Um, but I went from angry to like, almost like I, I just didn't want to think about it because it was so depressing to I'm so grateful that that happened um, to now. I actually learned some stuff from that guy, believe it or not. (laughs) I look back and I go, hmm, he would always send me to get his lunch and give me quarters and nickels and dimes. And it was so embarrassing. I'm like, why am I getting your lunch? (laughs) Number one. And number two, why are you giving me nickels and dimes? Um, I'd always have to like, I ran all like payroll, like all the bills, everything. And literally bill, people would be calling us, hey, pay this bill. And he'd be like, no, don't pay it. Like why? He'd wait until the very last minute. And his whole thing was, you want to get money in quicker than you get it out. The way he went about it was a little yikes, but I got the concept and the principle of it. And that, that kind of helped me um, and has helped me sense of like, hey, you want to make sure you got more money coming in and you got going out. And if you can 
delay what you've got going out. You can get keep more cash flow to be able to continue to to grow and run the business. So there's some stuff that I've learned. At this point, I'm I'm grateful. I'm like, thank you. This wouldn't have never happened if if he hadn't done it. No, I mean, if you would have been compensated well for it and received an ongoing commission, you would have had the safety and security to probably never leave. Absolutely, yeah. the The path would have been different. I started this entire process because I wanted to get into real estate investing. It was why I started it all. It was, I want to create, you know, this, this portfolio of businesses and I didn't have any money. And I, I met this guy, he was 30 years old. His name was Eli. And he had eight mobile home parks and one park was making him 30 grand net a month. And I was like, I was 20 something. And I'm like, how do you do that? And he said to me, he said, you can get creative like everybody else and try all that stuff or just go get yourself a bullet fund, build, build a bullet fund. And that's what set me off on the path of, I got to figure out a way to make money to build a bullet fund. And boom, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm here today because of these decisions that I kind of made and these people that kind of pointed me in these uh, directions. And then, you know, so you're, I was asking about the timeline. So call it five, six years. And then fast forward, you've done millions and millions of dollars worth of sales and you end up on Shark Tank. Um, how did you get approached or did you apply for Shark Tank? Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't apply. Um, so it's, it's a funny story. Um, so how do I put this? So, so I was, uh, I was sitting on the couch and I was sitting with my kids and uh, um, uh, my wife's there and she goes, hey, you should apply to Shark Tank. And I go, no, nah, I'm good. She goes, okay. And I end up getting a call from the producers and I go, yeah, hello. And they're like, hey, this is so-and-so from Shark Tank. I'm like, what? And I look over. She goes, yeah, I applied. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. That's uh, that's great. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't like pursue it per se, like it was done for me. And I, and I was like, okay, I guess, it, I guess I got to do this now. This is, we got to do it. Let's do it. Yeah. That's wild. Um, what was the experience like for you? You know, cause you, you had one of probably the more unique, at least what we saw on TV pitches that I can ever remember. I mean, you're making money. They love the business. I don't know. I mean, rarely, and we've seen a lot of episodes now, rarely do I ever recall them saying you should sell the business right now. They may say, hey, it's a terrible idea. Take it out back and shoot it. But they've yeah. never said, hey, you've got a great business, but sell now. But all five told you that. So it was just such a unique thing to watch. Um how was that experience for you? What, what went through your mind is, you know, it all transpired. It was, I had gone in and that thought had crossed my mind and I had tried to sell it prior to going on. So when I went on and they said it, it was like, ah, uh. <laughs> like this is, this is the path that I was going down anyway. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to try and keep it going. And then to run into them and for them to go, yeah, you should probably do X. I'm like, okay. I, I was like, I was already headed that way. It was kind of like confirmation. Yeah. More than, uh, more than anything. Um, I wasn't like 
I wasn't disheartened or upset or angry because for me, it was like, there's an opportunity here somewhere. I don't know what it looks like. Let's see. And so I went in and uh, when, when they said it, I was like, ah, okay, man, they're, they're, that's exactly what I tried. Like I tried. Okay. All right. I, I think uh, I'll give it another shot. So um, it was, it was really cool. It was, it was, I would do it again in a heartbeat for sure. And when did you record the episode? Because obviously it aired May of 2022. When did you record the episode? Um, the episode was recorded the year before, actually. Okay, so in 2021. So what did you what did you do after it after you recorded the episode? Did you put the business for sale? Did you end up selling it? Where what's happened since? Yeah, so that's a very unique, interesting process like that. So I, I have another business. Um, it's a Amazon delivery service partnership. So like all the vans you see with the people delivering packages, I have one of those contracts with Amazon. So we have a team of drivers, they go out, they deliver. Yep. So I was, I was studying, they put you through like a 10 hour, five, I think it's like two weeks, five days um, or six days a week. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. And then at the same time, I have to prepare for Shark Tank. So I'm doing that and learning about all this new, these new softwares and systems that I've never used before while preparing for this and talking to producers and building like it, it was insane. I was doing this back to back. I flew out um, to go and meet everybody at the, 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 uh, the warehouse. And then I flew back and I went straight to the studio to film. I hadn't slept. I had, I was exhausted. I was literally exhausted when I walked in the tank. I was like, you guys have no idea what I've been through the last two weeks. Um, and so after that, after filming it, it was like, I could, I could, almost like shut down like okay <laughs> i've been on like 11 to push through and get all this stuff done um afterwards i mean i've had i had so many people reach out to me that said so many nice things um i think as entrepreneurs we're we're problem solvers right and so we're always looking at where's the threat right and and where's the problem there's the fire put it out and for me anyway, I don't take a lot of time to step back, you know, third person and go, you're, you're doing a great job. So for me to have everybody reaching out saying that was inspiring. Thank you so much. That was amazing. You did great was really off putting. I was like, Whoa, where is all this coming from? Because in my mind, I'm like threat assessment competitors, like all these things going off in my head. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I should do this. Um, so that, that was, that was like super, super encouraging. Um, to hear the business. I was actually, it's funny, while, while I was on the show, I was talking to a company about purchasing it already. So when the episode, like afterwards, you, you sign an NDA, and, uh, it's like, you know, um, what, what movie is that? Brad Pitt, Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club. It's kind of the, the theme around Shark Tanks. It's like, it didn't air, it didn't happen, right? So I'm not, I can't tell anybody um and they're like yeah we're gonna buy it you know we're gonna all this stuff and uh, i've gone to sell the business a couple of times and here's the thing that i've run into and this is a new process or a new experience that i've learned and i've done it i don't know four five six times at this point with different companies they all have their own due diligence process they all have their own way of um coming to your ebitda or 
you know, coming over multiple or whatever the case is, and they all have their different terms of ways that they want to go about purchasing it, right? Um, and what I've found is that everybody wants a deal, and I get it. We all want deals, but nobody wants to, uh, like, how do I put it? Um, <laughs> it's like, hey, we'll buy your car from you, and then we're going to use your car to Uber, and then the money we make from Uber will pay you a percentage of it until we pay you the full purchase price of your car. Like what? No, <laughs> that's like, it's, it's kind of the aura that I've gotten from all of the due diligence offers that like this, I'm like, you guys, no, buy it or don't buy it. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the situation um, that we've been in. But um, I think on the show, we, I was in a spot where the business was growing and they didn't air this, right? But it's the business's facts, so I can speak about it. The business is growing 100 to 300% a year. And so from the Sharks perspective, with that margin in mind, they're like, where are you going to get that extra 2X on that profit every year to be able to keep up with that kind of growth? For me, oh, right? Um, people go, oh, you know, they, they can get lines of credit and et cetera, et cetera. But when you're growing that fast and that aggressive, my CPA said it best. He said, he said more businesses go out because of their growth instead of like not growing growth. He's like on paper, people think, oh, you know, growth is great. But he's like, when you look at financial statements, growth kills companies. You know, they grow too fast and they grow out of their shoes and they don't have the, the, the cash to keep the machine going. So I was coming up on that, on that problem and the sharks looked at it and they're like, if we jump in, we have to be the grease to keep the beast going. And the only way we get our money back is when everybody exits, right? On this type of business, I don't know if that makes sense, right? Had it been a software, had it been something, you know, a new widget, a gizmo, it would have made sense. But from their perspective, they're like, if you're growing, you know, uh, like I think last year we ended at 6.7, I think it was, um, if you're growing at 100 to 300% a year, like your inventory cost is growing by 100 to 300% a year. And so if you're buying a million next year, you need to buy three. It's like, whoa, hold on. Where's that 2 million coming from? From me? No way. Right. And then the next year it doubles. The, it's like, it's, it's good, but they're like, yeah, sell it, give it to somebody else where that's their game is acquiring brands to do that that's not our game. That's not what we want to do. So that's kind of, if that sheds light on yeah. kind of why the, they made the decision they made. What do you, what do you think the next few years looks like for you? For the, for this, for this company? Yeah. That is since like, even before the show, I've been in this space where I'm going, where do I take it? Where do I take it? Because I can either go, you know what, let's pull down the growth lever and just, you know, build up the cash flow and let the baby ride for a while, sell it, or we figure out, hey, let's gas it. And I feel the channels that we sell through now, we've done a great job of saturating those channels. And so now it would be expanding into different channels. So um, we're in talks right now with Target Plus, um, Walmart. Um, I mean, all we have to do is basically sign the papers and, and we're on those platforms, but for me, looking at it, there's 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 two places where your business grows. You either get new customers or you sell to old ones. 
simple. <laughs> and I feel that we can do a better job of selling to our current customers. And I feel like if we do that, the margin issue goes away because we can kind of cut back on ad spend, cut back on acquisition costs, right? Um, and increase our lifetime value of customers. And so a lot of different options on kind of what we could do, to be very honest with you. I don't know. I'm going to continue to, to build out this backend portion of it. And uh, if a juicy enough offer comes around where somebody's like, hey, um, we'll give you whatever. I'm like, all right, cool. Here are the keys. Take it. Have fun. And uh, yeah, on to my next. Is one of the challenges with dominating on Amazon that you don't really control the customer relationship? I would say there's two challenges. One challenge uh, is that there are creative ways to stay within terms of service yeah. and do that, right? Um, so is it a challenge? Yes, but I like challenges because not everybody can can, can overcome the barrier. Uh, but the I think the, the first one is that <clears throat> you're not necessarily in control of your volume. And what I mean is this, Amazon is a huge pie. They have how many million of Prime members, like 100 or 150 million, something crazy, right? Yeah. They're not showing you to 150 million customers when you jump on the platform. They're showing you to a slither of the pie, right? And because their promise is two-day delivery, great products, great price, they have to make sure that your product offering fits their DNA. And if your product offering fits their DNA, then what do they do? They start to slowly open up the pie. And so you go, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. But that's the front part of, right, the, those two pieces of selling is now you're selling to more customers. But now what happens is as that pie gets bigger, your demand to keep up with the growth gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you don't keep up with it, it's a race in that regard. People think Amazon is a race to the bottom. It's not a race to the bottom. It's literally a race of velocity of sales, period. Whoever has the highest velocity of sales wins the top spot. So if you decide, oh, you're growing too much for me, Amazon, you're, this is too big, and you try and throttle it back, someone else is going to overtake you. So there's, I would say, is the bigger issue. Because um, people have asked me, why don't you just raise your prices? And, and I'm like, that's not the game that we're playing. We're playing the game of I have to keep outpacing my opponents. If I keep outpacing them, then I can continue to do what we're doing and grow. But it's the double-edged sword, if that makes sense. It does. Well, I was going to ask you about pricing because I was curious, you know, where you're positioned in the market. You know, obviously some idiot like me from the outside looking in says, well, just add a buck to your prices or $2 or whatever that looks like. But you laugh. So tell us why that's either not possible or would be a terrible idea. Yeah, so Amazon, uh, we currently like a majority of our sales come from Amazon. So, you know, shameless plug, if you want to help us out, buy from our website. <laughs> um, but selling on Amazon, I'm, like a majority of us probably purchase on Amazon. And so when you go to buy something on Amazon that is not brand specific, you don't care about uh, the fancy, which I'm gonna call it style. Ah, how many reviews does it have? And what is the price? And does it do what I need it to do? Because all of these I can return in 30 days and get my money back if I really want. So there's a value mindset people come in with on Amazon. And if you 
place yourself outside of the customer's value, right? They're like, I'm not even considering you <laughs> at this point, right? Because it's like, you know, a pencil is a pencil. Well, our pencil has a pretty grip and it's like, yeah, but I'm good. I just, I, I just need to write what I need to do, right? It's very utilitarian in its approach, unless it's, you know, uh, like I said, a brand or um, something very, very unique or specific. With our type of product, um, differentiating the product, it's very different than the competitors. But go in there and ask a customer why, and they'll go, I don't know. I, I it, stick it, tear it, works, <laughs> right? Um, so I have competitors right now, 10 bucks, right? Uh, I think we're at 13 right now. You come in and you go, I'm going to save three bucks. Pretty simple. So you say, oh, raise your, raise your price a dollar or two. Okay. I'm $15 now. Yeah, no, no way. You see, like it just completely. And so um, speaking from this perspective of Amazon's algorithm, they go, who's winning in uh, velocity of sales? Oh, this person, you raised your price. People stop purchasing. Oh, this person is winning now. Let's move their ranking. And so now you lose ranking, you lose ranking, you lose sales, you lose sales, you lose more ranking, you lose ranking, you lose visibility, you lose visibility. It just winds down into this. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get on Amazon mess up is they think, oh, it's my brand. Well, right below where it says add to cart, there's another picture of another product with a price. Yeah. And right when you scroll down and you want to read the reviews, there's a whole line of products with different. So it, it, this isn't your website. This isn't, you know, uh, people, nah, it's not how it works. Um, so there's just a different mindset. So hopefully that answers the question. It's not as simple and straightforward as like, just beef your prices and everything will be better. Well, one thing I'm curious about, because something I've noticed lately, and I just last night I was looking for a um like one of those bug zapper things where you just set it down and you know and again it's like everything else i'm looking at eight different ones they all look the exact same um i'm i'm preferring the one that's one day shipping versus two days even though i'm not going to set it up until the weekend anyway so who cares right you you know all this stuff but i, I have a question about reviews because like there'll be a $30 product that'll be like a 4.8. And then there'll be a $60 product that's like a 4.4. Mm -hmm. How much does pricing impact that? Because I feel like a lot of times a product is better, but has lesser reviews because people expect way more out of it because the price is higher. Yeah. Yeah. The higher the price of the product, uh, you tend to, the Amazon customer is like, I shop on Amazon. So I'm talking about myself. <clears throat> I'm a target shopper looking for a bargain. <laughs> right? Like, like Walmart. I'm like, if I have to go, I'll go. But if I could choose, I'd probably go to target is what I would do. Right. And now I can go to target and get it in two days, basically on Amazon. And if I do decide to buy something with a higher price and it does disappoint me, you will hear from me more likely than you would if it was like less, of a burden yeah. for me to kind of make the purchase. It's like 60, 40, like, oh, is there one cheaper than that? 35, like, okay, it might be a little bottom of the barrel. Uh, you know what, you, pay, you get what you pay for. I'm gonna buy the $60 one and then you get it and then some crap and you're like, this is frustrating, this is upsetting. Why would anybody, and you better believe you're gonna leave a negative review, right? Versus the 35 buck when you're like, oh, I kind of expected it. Yeah. And you kind of let it go, right? And you're like, I yeah, return it, get my money back. 
Um, so there's a little bit of that in like buyer psychology that goes on on the platform for sure. Um, there's also a, like there's a game going on in the background that I don't think a lot of customers realize. Uh, there's like companies sending negative reviews to other companies. Uh, go on and you go, first thing you look at, the review count, click, negative. What's the worst one? <laughs> <laughs> and you look for the worst review and you go, oh, ah, is anybody else saying that? And you see like 57 people like this. You're like, ooh, uh, oh, 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 you keep reading. And then you're like, not, yeah, no, nah, this looks like crap. I see all the positives. That just made me a little iffy. You go to the next one and the reviews aren't that bad. At that point, you're like, I'll trust this one. I'll give this one a shot. And, and, and sellers know that. And so they'll literally send fake negative reviews to sabotage you, to get your star rating down, to get your 4.8 to a 4.6 or whatever, um, or to get uh, the review with a picture that's fake, a lot of likes, just so that customers will come and see. So there's a lot of that stuff that goes on in the background, in addition to fake uh, positive reviews to get you pulled down more than to get them boosted. Um, that used to be a big thing. It's like, hey, give me a bunch of positive reviews so I can get sales. Now it's like, no, get him a bunch of positive reviews so that Amazon flags him and he's taken down. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you balance uh, being a father and a husband? So the beauty of um, kind of, I didn't get to say, well, I didn't get to say this. They didn't really get to air it. The business right now, I probably work on it. 30 minutes a month. It operates, it runs. So I have literally all the time in the world to do those things. And that's why I wanted to do something that separated me from right the time is because I wanted my time to be able to do what I wanted to do. And so I have that that privilege of uh, being able to like hang out with my kids, play with them, take them wherever um, and live. Yeah. And th that's also a double-edged sword too, by the way, because you, you think like what well, they say, um, the, the, the devil's playground, the idle hands are devil's playground. Right. Um, but more in the sense of like, you have nothing to do, but you're so used to doing things that you're like, I need something to do. I need something to do. Um, and then you find yourself doing things that don't necessarily matter. It's like, Oh, I'm going to work on this package logo and it's like that's a waste of time man that's not going to move, move the lever you know at all um so there's a little bit of that um and then also like man well what do we what do you do next and you get very very like existential right money is no longer an, an issue um time you have back and it becomes very like where do i put myself now so um that's a fun <laughs> challenge to to deal with never thought i'd have to but seneca you yeah, I got you. Yeah, I have a question for you, and it 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 just just clicked as you're talking about some of the more uh, uh, philosophical thoughts that you have in your head about being an entrepreneur. You said something early in the interview. I, I think it was very um, very soon after you founded a couple of businesses. I think you m mentioned a record label and other companies that just didn't happen. And you said I wasn't who I needed to be. And I think there's a lesson in there. What was missing then that you are or you're being now? What what is the delta? What what's what's changed? So for me personally, there's a responsibility that I had to take 
for where I was and where I am. Um, I feel as if I have people reach out to me, hey, can you give me some advice? Hey, can you help me with this? Like whatever the case is. And I see myself in a lot of them where um, this didn't happen because of X, right? And and it's some X, like external factor or force of something. Um, I'm not where I need to be because of X or this person is in my way because of Y or if I only had X. And it's a lot of, I'm very honest with myself. I'm very like blunt. It's like, no, that's an excuse you're making up. (laughs) Like that's an excuse. So what I had another guy say to me, he said, what must happen happens, period. If it's not a must, then it won't happen. And I didn't treat things or myself that way of like, this thing right here is a must. This is important to me. I will make this happen. And if anything gets in my way, that is a challenge or a problem for me to solve. Um, problems are puzzles and puzzles are exciting, right? It's like, how do I, how do I solve this and get over it? Before it was like, oh, problem, roadblock. Oh, woe is me. Nothing goes right, right? And it's like, no, that's an opportunity for you to build your problem solving muscle and you build your problem solving muscle and the more problems you solve, the easier things get. And the only thing that changes is a zero behind the number on the problem. Right. And that's, it was a mindset shift that I kind of had to pick up along the way. And that took a lot of reading, a lot of mentors, a lot of coaching, a lot of programs um, that I, I went out to seek to find, to be able to learn. That's not at all how I was raised, like total foreign concepts to me. Um, But ultimately I would say to sum it up, take responsibility for where I'm at, um, not making excuses for things. And uh, every every problem being an opportunity to learn something. And if it's hard, you're just building your muscle to be able to solve hard things. And that 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 that's changed everything for me. So now when things pop up, it's like, okay, this is a workout. Let's do it. Yeah, per, uh, personal responsibility is uh, it in my mind it can't be rated high enough, especially if you're the entrepreneur, the person who signs the uh, paycheck on the front. Good stuff. If I can, I'll, I'll throw this in there and I'll make it really quick. Um, I have a, a different company, a different project, <clears throat> and I have a guy on my team. Everything he has touched outside of, I, let's say like eight big projects, two of them have succeeded, six have failed. And somebody would go, oh, that's his fault, right? No, that's my fault. Why didn't you do anything about that sooner? Why didn't you jump in and say something sooner? Why did you not put things in place to ensure that didn't happen? I can blame whoever I want whenever I want, but that's my responsibility to make sure that it got done the way it was supposed to, right? So um, even when I talk to him, he's like, he knows, right? Employees know, they know like, I know I should have. So there's no reason to heap more coal on their head. Um, But him seeing me take responsibility for it, I'm sure he's going, oh, wow, that's, I've never, I've never seen that. I've never like, but for me too, it keeps me grounded in, in the sense of like, I, I can't start to make excuses for things because as soon as you make an excuse, you make another excuse and another excuse. And, oh, well, what, what had happened was. <laughs> well, we so appreciate your time. This was a really enjoyable conversation. Um, 
look forward to staying in touch with you and continuing to watch your journey because I have a feeling there's a lot more interesting things to follow. Um, you mentioned it before, but tell us where people can find you, can find the product, your website, anything else you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, if people want, uh, you guys need athletic tape, any athletic trainers, coaches, and clinics, let me know. Um, HamptonAdams.com is our website where you can go and um, pick up uh, some, some supplies, products. Um, if you want to follow us on social, feel free uh, at HamptonAdams underscore um, or uh, at Seneca Hampton. Um, I'm not very active. I'm sorry, but I will answer DMs if you guys do want to ask me a question. Sure. Have at it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We, uh, we so appreciate it. Great story, great lessons. And uh, thank you very much, Seneca. No problem. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Joe, thank you. You guys have an amazing day. And uh, yeah, keep going, man. Keep crushing it. You thank as well. You, sir, you too. All right, we're back. And some of the great things that I, I wrote down from this interview and, and really enjoyed the conversation, um, he talked about his previous jobs and said he was in learning mode. And I think that's such an interesting way to look at it is, you know, and I, I think this is true of anyone, uh, you know, if you're younger and you're planning to be an entrepreneur, um, you know, look at those early jobs you have as being in learning mode. Are you learning as much as you can? Are you being challenged as much as possible? And if you're not gaining a ton of knowledge and getting a lot better, a lot faster, why be there? Right now, if the goal is, hey, I just want to make as much money as possible and I don't care about learning or getting better, that's different. But again, if you are ambitious and you do want to build and create things and you want to be extraordinary, find a situation where you can learn as much as possible. And I also think if you're interviewing for a job and you're asking them questions about how much you're going to learn and is it going to be the right environment for you to learn in, I think that shows a lot of maturity as well. Um, you know, he said something that I completely agree with, which is we can learn anything. And, you know, there's no excuses. Oh, well, how could I learn this? Or, oh, I didn't go to a fancy college. Or, oh, I didn't grow up in the best area. Dude, we can pick up books. We can look at YouTube. There's so much free stuff out there. You can learn anything you want to. There are no excuses. And I, and I thought that was a great message. Um, he talked about research mode. And so at this point now, he has over 30,000 reviews of his product. So what do people love? What do people hate? What can I learn? And I think there's some entrepreneurs that have such an ego that they either don't review, don't read the reviews or think that they're smarter than the people that are reviewing the product or don't want to be criticized, just go in there and go, okay, I'm make a love column and a hate column. And you know, what people love, we keep talking about and make sure we include in future iterations and the things people hate, we fix. Not that complicated, uh, but it takes the right entrepreneur to do that. Um, and then the last thing was, you know, when he was first starting out and even now, just testing it on a lot of athletes. And so, hey, who's my target market? Well, they're athletes. Great. How many athletes can I get to try this tape? And, you know, when he was building the product, hey, this doesn't come off my skin. This doesn't rip easily enough. This is too thin. This is too wide. Like, and he kept getting it to where he made it perfect. And yeah, I mean, it took time and it took a lot of patience, but relatively cheap way to get to the perfect product by just testing and testing and testing versus saying, hey, I'm going to build something. I like it. Okay, let's go and not testing it. So great entrepreneur, lots of great lessons there. Certainly hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next week on an all new episode of Outside the Tank.